with me to 1 John chapter 1. And um, if you already had them to open to Philippians 3, uh, I'm not messing with you this morning. I know we've been in Philippians 3 for quite some time. Um, but this morning I want us uh, to begin at 1 John. And as we begin, let me say what a blessing it is to have Mama Ruth with us this morning from California. Give her a hand. Praise God, sister. We love you. And um, it's great to hear from you on, on Facebook and, and that sort of thing. And um, just to see uh, how God is so richly blessing your life. And, uh, and uh, Maddie told me you were going to be in town and would per- perhaps make it to a service at Heritage. So uh, it's great to see you, sister. I see Jesus in your face when I look at you. So it's, it's just beautiful. Amen. Praise God. All right, so 1 John chapter 1. Um, before I read the passage, and I'll put them up on the screen for those of you who may not have a Bible or one to look on this morning. Um, each year we, you know, seek the Lord as to what He would have us, you know, emphasize, go after, uh, spend time studying. And, and um, this year, it, it, and it's happened this way before, sometimes it's like a clean break from what we've been studying, but other times it's like it's just one thing is just, you know, simply led into or carries over into another study and then we, we take the turn, so to speak, and, and off we go again. And that's kind of how it worked this year. Um, last year, the Holy Spirit really emphasized humility to us and, um, and then submitting to righteousness. And so we finished out 2018 um, looking at the gift of righteousness and, and how we've been made right before God in the eyes of God, not based upon what we've done, but based upon what's been done for us. Remember, it wasn't your sin that made you a sinner, and it wasn't your obedience that made you righteous. It was the first Adam's sin that made you and me sinners. We were born of his corrupted seed. But it was the last Adam, Jesus, his obedience that has made us all righteous because we've been born a second time of his incorrupted seed. And so righteousness is who we are. It's not just something we possess. And we have right standing before God, and because we have right standing before him, we now have right relationship with him. And we emphasize that right relationship is is really what Father had wanted for us and from us all along. It's not just righteousness for righteousness' sake. It's not just being right so we can say we're right. He made us right because right standing with Him is a requirement in order to have what He truly longs for from us. And that is that relationship or as we've been dialing in that fellowship that He has for us. Now... From there, we went into Philippians 3, and we're not done with Philippians 3 yet, but what we see from the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3 is in light of his understanding of the new life that he received, he resolved. In other words, he didn't just make New Year's resolutions, he made new life resolutions. In light of the life that he had been given in Christ, amen, that he resolved to make it his determined purpose to know Jesus, to to know Him, to know uh, the power of His resurrection, to know the fellowship of His sufferings, and to basically walk out in life all that Jesus paid such a high price for us to have. And, of course, the Apostle Paul is, is such a foundational stone of the Christian church, of the Christian life. I mean, obviously Jesus is the chief corner, but the Bible talks about other foundational stones. And so by foundational, 
what I mean by that is the Holy Spirit used the Apostle Paul to, to, to help focus you and me on what the Christian life's really supposed to be and what it's supposed to be about. Now, if you were to just ask the average Christian, what's, what's the Christian life about? What, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to live a Christian life? There is no telling the number of answers and the, and, and the many different answers you'd get. Probably even if, if, if we ask folks in this room, you know, and that's not to say that all those different answers would in and of themselves be wrong. Do you understand what I mean by that? In other words, more than likely the different answers would be an expression of, of different pieces or components of what it means uh, to be a Christian or what it means to live the Christian life. But the Christian life in its essence, are you hearing me this morning? The Christian life in its essence is knowing God. It's all that Jesus did for us to put us in a position to have a relationship with Him, to, 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 to be able to know Him, to, to become one with Him, and to literally have fellowship with God the Father, the same kind of fellowship that Jesus has with Him. Amen. And so when we talk about the, the Christian life, we often think of it in terms of something that we're trying to live. I'm trying to live a Christian life. Listen, we've missed it. I'm not saying that we shouldn't put effort towards trying to do certain things because our flesh likes to do what it likes to do. Amen? And so it does require effort on our part to, to follow through on the things that Jesus has instructed us to do. But if you only view the Christian life as trying to live a certain way, you've missed it. Because the good news is the Christian life is Jesus in you living through you. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's Jesus coming to live inside of you, becoming one with you by His Spirit and living both to will and to do, amen, to, to, to empower you to live the life that God created you to live, to fulfill the purpose that God created you to fulfill. And all of that, you know, we may have things in common where our purpose is concerned, but every person in this room has a unique purpose that you know for your individual life and Jesus has come to, to live inside of you to, to teach you to lead you and to empower you and enable you living through you to fulfill that purpose and ultimately to fulfill your destiny that was given to you before the worlds were even formed amen this is exciting I've said something like this or these words before if if the Christian life is not exciting to you you're not doing it right if it's drudgery, you've, you, you're missing somewhere what it's supposed to be about. And listen, trying to make yourself right is an exercise in futility and it's tiring. Thinking that your right standing before God is based upon your obedience to the rules. The rules can't save you. Amen. And it's only when we surrender to Him and, and, and realize that it's not our own efforts and works that make us right or keep us right, but it's His grace. It lets the pressure off of us and enables us to be free to live the life that He created you and me to live before Him. Now, Paul said that he evaluated everything in his life in light of his relationship with and his um, opportunity to know Jesus. Amen. And by evaluating everything in his life, he evaluated it based upon whether or not it added to or took away from him knowing Jesus. And if it added to him knowing Jesus, he held on to it. But if it took away from him knowing Jesus, he chunked it overboard. Amen. 
and counted it as rubbish. Notice he put it out for the trash collector to take to the dump because he no longer had time for those things. Now, if you understand what it was that Paul counted as rubbish or counted even as dung in his life, amen, you'll know that these were not you know, the things that we would often think of as, as quote-unquote sin. It was things like his reputation. It was things like what he believed at one point in his life he couldn't live without. It was what he was all about, what he lived for, and what he gave himself to. And Paul recognized that if he continued to give himself to those things and live for those things, it was going to carry him in a direction opposite to the one that he had made his determined purpose. And that was to progressively know Jesus more and more, to progressively walk with him closer and closer, to progressively experience the intimacy of fellowship with Jesus in a progressive way, again, um, growing, amen, in that relationship. Now, I, again, just speaking as plainly to you as I can, all right? In my, in my own just before the Lord time, as far as how well am, am, am I communicating this to you, I just keep feeling like that at least in some cases, I'm not, this, this may entirely be on me, amen, you hear what I'm saying, but I'm not sure we're connecting with this yet on the level that we need to connect with it, myself included, all right? And so I want us to step away from Philippians 3 for a moment, and I want us to kind of pull back, step back for a moment, and I want us to look at, at what I'm going to call the bigger picture, the bigger picture of God's desire to have fellowship with you, of His desire to have fellowship with you. You do know this morning that He loves you. You do know this morning that He desires you. He wants you. Amen. You're, you're not an inconvenience to Him. You're, you're more than just something He created that He's now responsible for, and, and because He's a just God and a fair God, He's going to give it you know, the old college try to keep up with you. No, no. He, he is obsessed with you. And I mean that in, in the most beautiful, precious, loving way. What else could you say about someone who sings over you every night while you sleep? What else could you say about someone who numbers the hairs upon your head? What else could you say about someone who has gone to the links, gone to the expense, gone to the sacrifice for you that he has gone to just to give you and me the opportunity to come back to him and to know him? He is obsessed with you. He is not indifferent towards you. He, he is not angry at you. Our sin, our sin demanded punishment. Our sin demanded the wrath of God, the judgment of God. But Jesus came and took that punishment, took that wrath, absorbed that judgment for every one of us at a tremendous personal cost to himself. Again, because of you, because of his love for you. I remind you that when Lucifer fell, we have no record of God even sending another angel to see if he wanted to work it out or come back or see if we couldn't find some uh, you know, peace in the future. But when we fail, he didn't just send an angel. He sent his only begotten son. And not just to talk to us, but to die for us while we were yet sinners. 
Without any guarantee we would ever turn to Him. Without any guarantee we would ever respond. Remember now, the very people He came to save are the ones who are nailing Him to the cross. The very ones that He came to help are the ones who have turned against Him. You don't think that was eating away at His mind in the Garden of Gethsemane when He was sweating drops of blood? Father, not my will, but Yours be done. Do you not think in the back of his mind somewhere the devil was gnawing away at him? This is not going to work. You're going to die for nothing. The very people you came to save are the ones who are spitting in your face. They're the very ones who've turned their backs on you. They're the very ones who have plotted and strategized against you and now are on the verge of arresting you, torturing you to death. He did it anyway. He came to His own and His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right, the privilege to become sons and daughters of God. He did it without any guarantees. He did it in faith, believing that one day you would hear His name. One day you would hear of His love. One day you would hear His story. And you would turn from your sin and from your wickedness and call upon His name to be restored into right standing with Him. Thank God. He loves you this morning. He wants you this morning. He longs for you this morning. He's jealous for you this morning. He's a jealous God. You say, well, I, I thought jealousy was a bad thing. In every other case it is, but in this case it's a beautiful thing. When you give your heart to inferior things, when you sell out to, to, to inferior purposes, when you, when you give your time, efforts, and energies to things that will not make a hill of being worth of difference in your life, and yet... He has all of these other things for you. He's jealous about that. You say, well, he just wants so much more from me, Pastor. No, he wants so much more for you. See, that's again a broken understanding of this. You know, it's like, well, God just wants so much from me and it's just more than I can give. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? First John. Chapter 1, let's read the verse, for I preach all day and never even get to the verse. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was, in, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. He's speaking of Jesus here, right? That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. Joy is found in the fellowship. We talk about joy, many of us think in terms of happiness. We relate happiness with joy. Joy is something far deeper, far more profound. I won't go into a lengthy explanation, but happiness has to do with things going on on the outside of you that cause an emotional response on the inside of you. Happenstance. If favorable circumstances, then you're happy. But if things are not favorable, then you're not happy. Joy is something internal. It is a river from the Holy Spirit. And it is more than just feelings of happiness. The joy of the Lord, the Bible says, 
It is an emotion that springs forth from God's Spirit in you that creates strength in you. It strengthens you. The joy of the Lord, the Bible says, is our strength. Amen. When the Scriptures say, for instance, in God's presence is fullness of joy, he's talking about the sweet spot of life. He's, he's talking about that, that utopia. He's, he's talking about that paradise. He's, he, he's talking about that, that place that, that maybe we barely brush against, barely catch a glimpse of at different points in time in our lives and, or perhaps even that thing that, that we imagine heaven will one day be like or, or that, that we imagine the world will one day be like. But yet, joy, that simple word, it's, it's capturing this. Joy in life. Joy in life. Joy is found in the fellowship. Let me say that another way. Because if fellowship with God is where true joy is, is realized in our lives, then do you understand that if you reverse that, if joy is found in the fellowship, if there's no fellowship, there's no joy. Leaving us to try and find joy or some substitute for joy in other places and in other relationships and in other things in our lives. And of course, this is where the enemy has a field day with us. So many songs throughout the course of history have been written expressing this endless pursuit of trying to find the joy, trying to find the satisfaction. And of course the conclusion that the world has come up with is that what we still haven't found, what we're looking for. And so we keep looking. But what we're looking for is fellowship. We're looking for fellowship with our Creator. We're looking for fellowship with our Father. This word fellowship from the Greek is the word koinonia. It means fellowship, obviously. It also means community, communion, joint participation, sharing, and intimacy. Father is inviting you and me into community with Him, into communion with Him, into joint participation with Him, into partnership with Him, into sharing with Him, and into intimacy with Him. This morning I uh, had a lot of things on my mind and I just I came out to um, the sanctuary and, and um, I hope this will make you nervous, but I I'd like to just pray in, in the Holy Ghost for a while. And then I pulled out my phone and, and uh, I just began to, to dictate into my phone what was on my heart. Okay? And I tried to think the best way to do this. And I just, you know, as, as raw and unfiltered as I can, I just want to basically read to you what was coming out of me about seven this morning, if that's all right. Amen. First of all, and we need to understand this. Matter of fact, if you're taking notes, you need to write this down. And if you're not taking notes, you still need to make a note of it somewhere. All right? You were created by God for fellowship with Him. Amen. You were created by God for fellowship with Him. Fellowship may not be our only purpose. As a matter of fact, if you read the Bible carefully, you will see that there are many other purposes that God assigned to us, but all of those purposes are not just secondary to fellowship with Him, they are dependent upon fellowship with Him. 
For instance, God created you and me to be fruitful. He created us to multiply. He created us to have dominion over the earth and to subdue it. He created us to fill up the earth. And that's, sadly, most people read those passages out of Genesis and all they hear is procreation. All they hear is having babies. Having children is only one small part of one of those five royal mandates. We were created to rule and reign on planet earth. Our ability to rule and reign on planet earth is not just secondary to our fellowship with the Father. It is dependent upon our fellowship with the Father. In other words, the extent to which you're able to rule and reign in life is directly connected to your fellowship with Him. The closer you fellowship with Him, the more you're going to rule and reign in life. And the less you fellowship with Him or the less fellowship you have with Him, the more life is going to rule and reign over you. In other words, this thing operates in degrees. In His presence is fullness of joy. You, you spend time in His presence. He lives inside of you, but that's not the same as being in His presence. In His presence is fullness of joy. If you're in His presence once every six months, right? Versus the ability to be in His presence every day. To be aware of His presence in your life every waking moment of every day. So certainly there are other purposes for you and me. There is a difference though between purpose and destiny. So when we look at the different purposes for our lives and thank God for them. So let's go back to be fruitful. Being fruitful doesn't just mean having children. You were meant to live, created by God to live a fruitful life. Let me say it another way, a meaningful life. For your life to be producing good things on planet earth. And we find tremendous satisfaction, tremendous personal satisfaction in our lives from living a fruitful life. And our Father in heaven is glorified when we bring forth much fruit. Your ability to be fruitful is tremendously hindered by a lack of fellowship. I've said it twice, I'm going to say it one more time. It's not just that these things are secondary to fellowship, they are dependent upon fellowship. So again, you were created by God for fellowship with Him. We cannot overlook or exaggerate the importance of this statement. Fellowship with God more than any other reason or purpose is why you exist. So much so, you were created by God in light of this fellowship intention or this fellowship purpose. What do we mean by that? Well, when God created you, He created you like He did so that He could have fellowship with you. Let me try to say it another way. Matter of fact, let me just, I said I was going to stay to this just kind of raw and unfiltered. Let me, let me just stay with it, all right? This is why you were created in His image and likeness. You were not created to be some glorified pet. And you were not created to be a raving fan. If God was looking for fans or pets, He would have created you in an entirely different way if that was all He desired from you. 
You were created in His image and likeness. Meaning you were created to look like Him, but you were also created to function the way He functions. The Bible says in Psalm 8, you were created just a little bit beneath Him. The message translation says you were created so much like Him, you narrowly missed being Him. Now that makes people, a nerve, uh, you know, makes people a little nervous. I'm not trying to make you nervous, but I'm trying to help you understand why did God choose to create you as He did? He created you for fellowship. You can't have fellowship with a puppy. You can't have fellowship with a pet. Not the kind of intimate, personal fellowship and oneness that God desires to have with you. He created you with the ability to speak because He wants to have a conversation with you. He created you with the ability to understand because, again, He wants you to be able to understand Him and who He is and, and, and how He thinks. He created you with the ability to experience the same spectrum of emotions that He experiences because He wants you to not just know what He knows, but He wants you to feel what He feels. created you more. Listen, I believe it 100%. It's absolute truth. You were created by God as an object of His affection, but you are more than just an object of His affection. You were created by love, for love, to be loved, and to give love. He created you so much like Himself that you, it's not just that you're able to receive love from Him, you are able to receive His love into your heart and then love another person so much that you can love them as He loves them. You can love Him like He loves them. Jesus said a new commandment. Up to this point, I've, I've just rehearsed or, or restructured or reformed or reframed the context of old commandments. But now I'm fixing to give you one that's never been given before. He said, you go love people like I love you. It's unheard of. Unheard of. Now how, can, how is it that we're able to do that? He created us so much like Himself that we have the ability now to do that. I ask this question often here, classes that I teach, which came first? You or your purpose? Man or man's purpose? Your purpose came first. God established your purpose, He established your destiny, and then created you in light of it. How silly would it have been for God to create you and then try to find a, a purpose for you? Or how silly would it have been for God to have a purpose for you and then create you inferior or create you in a way to where you could never achieve or fulfill that purpose? He knew you before you were ever formed in your mother's womb. He knew you before Adam ever breathed oxygen in this environment. He knew you before Adam was ever created and put in the Garden of Eden. You existed in Him before you ever existed on this earth. We all came forth from Him and we're all on our way back to Him. He created you in His image and in His likeness because His ultimate desire is to have fellowship with you. Now I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'm going to show this to you in the Bible. And it's not some kind of subpar fellowship. It's not some kind of like lesser form of fellowship. He created you to have the same fellowship with Him that He enjoys with His Son Jesus. Do you see the joint participation, the sharing, the intimacy, the community, the communion? 
the koinonia. Not some kind of distant relationship. Remember we said relationship is not a strong enough word. I have a relationship with, with Regions Bank. I have a relationship with the federal government. It's not the same. Relationship is too vague. To just say I have a relationship with God is too vague. Start confessing over your life, I have fellowship with Him. I have fellowship with Him. There's a difference, right? I've never had fellowship with the federal government. I guess I have maybe in the sense that I sent my money in joint participation there, right? Regions Bank's never invited me to a Christmas party, I guess is what I'm saying. I've never hung out with them in a social setting. Because that's not the kind of relationship that I have with them. Amen? Fellowship is something entirely different. And you were created by God to not just have fellowship with Him, but the same fellowship with Him that Jesus enjoys. This is important. Are you ready? Your life will never make sense or be what it was meant to be without fellowship with Him. Your life will never make sense or be what it was meant to be without fellowship with Him. It's because it's what you were created for. And anything less is less than what you were created for. Anything less is at best a cheap substitute and at worst an exercise in futility. You were created by Him, for Him. Your very existence is based upon this truth. C.S. Lewis says you were created to run on him the way an automobile was created to run on petroleum. Thank you, Jesus. God did not create Adam to rule over him, but he created him to rule through him. Do you see the difference? The difference is fellowship. You were created by Him in such a way as the closer you walk with Him and the more you focus upon Him, the more like Him you become. 2 Corinthians talks about this. The more you behold who He truly is in the face of Jesus, you're transformed more and more into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of God. I don't want to take this side journey too far because I'm trying to finish But God created you that way because it's the primary means by which you become more and more like Him. But Satan has taken advantage of that ability. He's taken advantage of that characteristic. How many people have I known over the years that have made a statement something like this? I will never be like my mother. I will never be like my mother. I will never be like my mother. Only to grow up and be just like their mother. I'll never be like my dad. I'll never treat my family the way my dad treated us. I'll never be an alcoholic the way my dad was an alcoholic. I'll never, I'll never, I'll never, I'll never. Only to grow up. Why? It's because even though you were focusing on that negative because you didn't want to be that negative, because you focused on it, it transformed you into its image. You became the very thing you said you'd never become because of this principle. Sin separated Adam and Eve from God and made fellowship with Him impossible. 
It wasn't that Adam and Eve no longer knew God. They knew God. It wasn't that Adam and Eve no longer had a relationship with God. They had a relationship with God. Their sin cost them fellowship. They still heard from Him. But it wasn't the same as Him coming in the cool of the evening and sitting there with them, enjoying one another's company. The story of the Old Testament is basically one of the massive numbers of people who rejected God. The massive numbers of people who failed to remember Him. The massive numbers of people who chose to go their own way and to follow their own course rather than follow God's way and His course for their life. But the same Old Testament also contains the story, the life stories of the few who received Him. The few who did long to know Him and have a relationship with Him. I feel like some of you are bugging out on me now. You still with me? In other words, and I'm not going to try to preach the whole Old Testament to you in five minutes, but listen to me, please. When, when you look at the Old Testament with this understanding, from this paradigm, right? Are you hearing me this morning? Let, let me, I know I've told the story so many times, some of you can finish it for me, Okay. When I bought the red truck that I'm driving out there, 2001, by the way, people ask me all the time, how old it is, 2001, 200 plus thousand miles, just had the transmission rebuilt in it, it's good for another 200,000, I'm excited, amen. When I bought that truck, I bought it new, and I wanted a gray one, but they didn't have a gray one, and they had that one, and I told Pam, I said, never seen one this color, this must be some kind of special edition, this must be something nobody else has. I think I like it, so I bought it, right? I saw three of those trucks, that color, going home from the dealership. Because <laughs> I, I was aware of it now. And what had been there the whole time, I had missed. But now that my eyes were open to it and I was looking for it, I saw it everywhere I looked. If you will go back through, and that's what I'm doing right now, I'm going back through the Old Testament with a few things in mind, and one of them being this truth right here. And what you see now that you may have missed before is even in the Old Testament, even in the law and all of those things that we think of first maybe when we think of the Old Testament is that we see God's overwhelming desire to be present with His people. For God to be as close to them as He dare get without killing them. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, the measures that he went to, the links that he went to, the, 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 the guidelines, the, the laws that he had to put in place to, to, to maintain uh, a level of insulation between himself. Why? Because we, sin wasn't just something we did. Sin was something we became. And God's holiness destroys sin. And there was no way for his holiness to destroy your sin, my sin, without destroying you and me. That's why it was poured out on Jesus. That's why when people accidentally came into contact with the straight, raw glory of God in the Old Testament, it killed them instantly. It wasn't because God was mad, how dare you touch me, I'll kill you dead. No, it was because of His holiness and their sin. When those two things came in contact with one another, something had to give. Their sin wasn't going to make Him a sinner. It wasn't going to contaminate Him. Amen? So we see this in the Old Testament. I'll finish right here, I promise. Are you good? We see all these folks 
But we also see a Noah. We see all these folks, but we also see an Enoch. Read about him in Hebrews 11. We see all these folks, right? But we see an Abraham. I can't wait to get to heaven and ask God if there was anybody before Abraham that he made an offer to that turned him down. All we know is that God said, hey, Abraham, I got something better for you if you want to come along. And Abraham, Abram said, uh, uh, well, uh, where are we going? And God said, you'll know when you get there. And he says, okay, well, let's go. Pretty extreme. Pretty extreme. Even more extreme than in our day. In their day, family was everything. Family was protection. Family was provision. Family was that legacy, right? We see this God in the cloud by day and the, and the fire by night. We see his desire to be with his people in the construction of the mobile tabernacle and then in the construction of the permanent temple. But I'm going to tell you where we see him and this desire expressed and perhaps the closest thing to it that we see in all the Old Testament. That's in the life of a little shepherd boy named David. David's desire to be with God and to be in God's presence began when he was very young. And in spite of the ups and downs of his life, we see that it was the one thing he desired above all else. Some of the most beautiful verses to communicate this reality and promise in the Old Testament are found in the writings of David. It was David who said by the Holy Spirit, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will what? I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It was David who said, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God and Him I will trust. It was David who said, You'll show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy at your right hand or pleasures evermore. And it was David who said, One thing I have desired of the Lord and that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Amen. Singers, musicians, if you would come this morning. David recognized that the secret to life was nearness to God. That the secret to everything that money could not buy, everything that wealth and power and fame could not produce, the secret to what he experienced that meant the most to him in the end was nearness to God. When he messed up, and he messed up big time, don't make no mistake about it, if you ever start getting hard on yourself, just remember that David had an adulterous affair with a dear friend's wife, a man who had supported him and been loyal to him for decades, a man who had been there with him through thick and thin. That man was off fighting a battle for his king when his king got his wife pregnant. And then to cover it up, David put him in the hottest part of the battle where he knew that he would be killed. Then took that man for his own wife. We have a word for that in Alabama. That's just sorry, right? I mean, that's just sorriness right there. 
It's just plain old sorry, ain't it, sister? The thing that David cried out for the most when he was repenting before God, it was not, don't send me to hell. It was, don't take from me the joy. Please don't take from me your presence. You follow what I'm saying here? Please restore unto me the joy. Help me be restored back into that place of closeness with you. Because life without it, life without it, it's no life at all. Amen. Stand with me this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Fathers, we stand before you today. We acknowledge that we were created by you to have fellowship with you. Help us, Father, recognize the importance. Father, this was factored into all those decisions that the Apostle Paul made concerning his personal and individual life. All those choices that he made, all those evaluations where he was counting things as worthless because nothing meant more to him than this fellowship with you and with the Father. It is the pearl of great price. It is the treasure hidden in the field. It is the one thing to be pursued above all others. It is the part that cannot be taken away. It is the part that is most excellent. It is the one thing that we desire. It is the one thing worth all of our efforts and all of our pursuit. Help us, Father. Help us, Father. As we stand before you this morning, sir, I pray that you would begin to reveal to each one of us. Father, speak to each one of us about the things in our lives that are cutting in on our ability to have closer fellowship with you. Father, show us ways that we can reprioritize our lives, that we can adjust things. Father, show us areas of our life that we have excluded you from. And Lord, show us how to either get rid of those things or to include you in them. Father, this is real growth. Father, what we're talking about now, and I thank you that you're helping us see this, is that this is real progress. This is real change. These are the things that will make the greatest difference and the greatest impact, both in our lives, but also in our effectiveness, our fruitfulness, the meaningfulness, Lord, of the life that we live. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Could we worship Him for a moment? Could we just close ourselves in from these altars are open if you'd like to come and worship Him here, come and pray here, but either where you're standing or could you just kind of isolate yourself for just a moment? Pull away from everything and everybody else and just shut yourself in with Him for a moment. He loves you today. He knows 
the one thing that you can do that will make the biggest difference in your life. Somebody said, Pastor Mark, there's, there's more than one thing for me. No, no, I understand. More than one for me as well. But he's so patient. He'll take these problems and issues, these reservations, these things that are holding us back from him. He'll just deal with them systematically one at a time. And he knows the one thing that needs to be dealt with in each one of our lives that will make the biggest difference, make the most impact. I'm praying now that he would show it to you, that you would, that you would hear him, that you would let him show you. I could stand up here and make a list and read off a list, and if any of these things sound familiar, you, you take it. If not, let it. No, no, we're not doing that this morning. The Holy Spirit knows. Let him show you. Let him help you deal with it. Right here and now. We have a saying down here in the south, we got bigger fish to fry. My friend, you've got bigger fish to fry. You've got more important things. Let him show you. Thank you, Jesus. Go ahead, brother.